Hello, this is Tennessee Bill. Global Heritage Books and Greenfly Productions present What We Saw, a tale from the Bigfoot community. This episode is brought to you by Kindle Vela by Amazon. Introducing Kindle Vela by Amazon, a new way to read serialized stories. Find stories you love. The first few episodes are free, including this one. Go to Kindle Vela on the Amazon page and search What We Saw. Episode 2, Jerry. After being introduced, Jerry sat up straight and cleared his throat. He smiled at the audience who eagerly awaited his story. Well, when I was ten years old, I lived in Wenatchee, Washington. Just off of Highway 2, for those of you who have been there. My parents just bought a house in a subdivision that bordered the Birch Mountains. As any ten-year-old would, I liked playing in the backyard and, as usual, for a weekday evening, was playing at the edge of our yard in a wooded area. I'd played there many times. On this particular day, I was doing my thing when I heard some twigs cracking further past the tree line. I figured it was a deer or something. I looked in the direction of the noise, but didn't see anything, so I didn't think much of it. Well, I heard it again. And for a moment, I thought I saw something moving. There were all sorts of little critters in the woods, so nothing seemed out of the ordinary. But I continued to look occasionally in that direction. A few minutes later, I saw movement again. And this time it was closer. I thought I would walk toward the sound, hoping to see a porcupine or a squirrel, maybe. But as I was walking, I saw a dark shape against a tree. I didn't even think it was an animal at first because of its size, but as I looked closer, I changed my mind. Even though it was fairly shady in the trees, I could make out that the thing was dark and hairy. I was confused at first, but I kept following the outline of the thing until I noticed what appeared to be an eye. The more I looked at it, the more I realized it was a creature of some sort partially hiding behind the tree. And then it moved slightly to conceal itself more behind the tree, like it didn't want me to see it. Well, this startled me, so I turned back toward the house and hollered for my mom. When I did this, It came from behind the tree and sprinted toward the deeper woods out of sight. While it was running away from me, I got a pretty good look at it. It looked to be about six feet high or so and was covered in a grisly brown fur. It had long arms and ran fast. It didn't make any sounds other than crunching through the brush as it ran. I, of course, ran into the house and told my mother. She didn't believe me at first, but I was so scared I kept telling her about it and asking her what it was. I just kept on and on about it. She could tell I was pretty upset, so she called a neighbor and asked if they had seen anything. These neighbors thought it was really sensational, though my parents weren't that impressed. The neighbors told other neighbors and so on, until eventually the newspaper called. They talked to my mother, and they told her they would like to talk to me. She was hesitant at first, but then they told her it would be fun. 
They said the readers like a good Bigfoot story. And it would be inconsequential coming from a kid. So my mom talked to my dad about it, and eventually they agreed it'd be okay. So the newspaper reporter came out and asked me what I saw. I told them basically what I told you all. They were very nice and thanked me and my parents. Well, the story came out, and my parents got a few calls from other neighbors, but nothing much came of it for a couple of days. Then about three days later, a national news station called my parents. They wanted to interview me. My parents said no, but then they offered them $500, so they reluctantly agreed. A news fan arrived the next day. We sat at the kitchen table, and they asked me questions like the newspaper lady did, except this time there were cameras. So many people had asked me about what I saw over the past few days that I was comfortable describing the creature. I was able to speak pretty confidently about it and describe it with detail. Well, as you know by now, the story made national television news. Then, all sorts of folks wanted to talk to me. Other TV stations and newspapers. I didn't mind doing it, and they were really nice, so my parents were okay with it. And, 20 years later, I'm still telling the story just like I saw it. The crowd applauded. Thank you, thanks. Does anyone have any questions they would like to ask? Several hands shot up. Jerry pointed to the first one he saw. Yes? Was anyone mean to you for telling what you saw? Was it hard on you being so young? Asked a college-age girl with dreadlocks. No, not really. All of the interviewers were super nice, and I thought it was kind of fun. It was easy to answer the questions. I simply told them what I saw. No one was ever mean to me about it. Most of the kids at school thought it was cool and wanted me to tell them about it. More hands went up. Jerry pointed to another. Yes? What did its feet look like? Jerry knew that the mid-tarsal flexion visible in foot casts was a new talking point amongst Bigfoot researchers. Well, he was wearing green high-top converses. The crowd had a good laugh. Just kidding. His feet appeared completely covered in hair on top, all the way down to the toes. I saw the soles of his feet as it ran, and they were grayish-white and big. The soles were the size and shape of Dr. Meldrum's casts he has on his table. Meldrum smiled and nodded. Jerry took the next question. Did you notice a smell? Yeah, big time. When it turned to run, I smelled it a few seconds later. It was like um, an eggy fart combined with rotting meat and dog crap. More questions followed regarding sounds and how fast it ran, and Jerry answered them. The moderator eventually stood and thanked Jerry before introducing Dr. Meldrum. Thank you, thank you, said Dr. Meldrum into the applause. Thank you for having me, and it's an absolute honor to be here. Jerry admired Meldrum's professional appearance and tone. 
He was the Sasquatch community's biggest star. It has been my passion for the past 30 years to convince the scientific community that there are facts that are impossible to refute. I'll tell you, there are many out there that believe and agree, but they are afraid to speak out. Their careers are at stake because of ignorance and belligerence. For that reason, I salute all of you gathered here because you demand explanation. You demand science. And you demand a closer look. A scientific look. So, give yourselves a round of applause. Damn, he's good, thought Jerry. Dr. Meldrum spoke briefly about foot casts, but quickly moved into statistics and hidden DNA samples. The crowd was entranced. Jerry included. Meldrum spoke for half an hour or so and then answered questions. Many more than were asked of Jerry. As Meldrum was finishing up the questions, Jerry went outside to get Poire. He opened the rear entrance of her taco truck and was greeted by long, sleek legs coming out of short, cut-off jean shorts. Her white tank top fit her closely and revealed her tattoo of a Sasquatch riding a Loch Ness monster and waving. Dang, girl. I don't know if it's the tongue tacos or the hottie inside that makes this truck so popular. Poir threw a hand towel at his face. Stuart's starting. I'm coming, she said. Her hair was pulled back into a messy bun, and she was wearing pink Teva sandals. She stepped out of the truck and locked its door. Jerry offered her his hand as they walked toward the rec hall, and she took it. Several audience members turned to notice her sleek and slender figure as they walked in hand in hand. You know, this whole room is jealous of me, Jerry whispered to her. I doubt it, she quipped. They sat in chairs in the back of the room as the lights were lowered. Dr. Stewart stood at the moderator's microphone as he introduced the first video. He was a pro. His coiffed hair, his suit jacket, his vocal intonations, everything polished. His words were perfectly timed as he pressed the button on the remote he held in his hand. I received this one last month and was taken a week prior in Vernon, British Columbia. On the screen was shaky GoPro footage taken by someone hiking of a tall, hairy thing stepping from behind a tree. After a few steps, the creature looked toward the camera so that its face was revealed momentarily. The skin around its eyes was nearly black, and the face featured large, bulky brows. A moment later, the creature turned and darted up a hillside using its long arms to grab tree limbs to ascend the steep grade. Notice the use of arms here, and the speed at which it ascends. This athletic feat would be impossible for a human, demonstrating the large, isometric muscle strength found in apes and not humans. Pound for pound, they are much stronger than we are. Research has shown apes, like chimpanzees, have a higher percentage of fast-twitch muscle fibers compared to humans, yielding a much higher maximum dynamic force in their musculature. 
The audience was on the edge of their seats as he transitioned the next video clip. Here is another visual sample taken in Texas. This one I find more fascinating. On the screen was a tall, two-legged animal meandering in a field next to a dense forest. It seemed to be wandering aimlessly, moving its arms about while looking at the ground. The creature carried on in this way before suddenly looking toward the camera and sprinting into the woods. Stuart paused the video. The most incredible component of this footage is that it captures ape-like autisms. Now let us talk about this for a moment. Autisms are the non-productive movements some animals make. For instance, when we think, we scratch our heads, shrug our shoulder, or touch our faces. These movements don't accomplish anything physical for us, but we do them nonetheless while we are problem-solving. Well, apes do this too. Let's watch again. Dr. Stewart used a laser pointer to emphasize the arm movements and head scratches the creature exhibited while looking at the ground. These movements closely resemble what we see in the great apes. You will notice this in some of the videos you will see shortly. Dr. Stewart played a dozen more videos, each one as impressive as the next. The astonished crowd exploded with questions at the end of the presentation. I'll see you later said Poire, who went back to her taco truck. Jerry sat at his table and signed the five books he sold. Meldrum and Stuart both had a line of buyers at their table and must have sold 50 each. That evening, Jerry built a fire in a stainless steel fire drum next to the camper. Poire sat next to him, slapping mosquitoes from her legs now tinted amber by the flickering fire. Are you leaving tomorrow? Poire asked. I guess I will. Make my way to Ohio. I'll be headed that way in two days. But I have a stop at a fishing festival in Bozeman. That sounds fun. Well, go with me if you have nowhere to be. Jerry delayed answering. The light of the fire glittered in the ripples of the lake just behind them. I can go with you. The evening's view of the tree-lined horizon against the setting sun looked like sap green pressed in with a filbert brush over an orange glow. Jerry, I just don't see how you can watch Dr. Stewart's videos and not believe it's real. They are compelling. I think I even waver back toward believing when I watch them. Have you ever thought about using videos with your presentation? Sure but I don't have any. You could collect some. That's what Dr. Stewart does. Yeah, but he's the professor type. He's got the credentials to support it. The best gig going is to make a documentary. Why do you say that? Well, once you make a Sasquatch documentary, you'd instantly be a Bigfoot celebrity, like those clowns that presented yesterday. They've never caught footage of anything but yet they get invited to talk about the search. Doesn't matter how far off they are. Heck, they have people on there who think Squatch is an alien or that he can time travel. I bet a person could make a documentary about the sham of Bigfoot documentaries. How about that for an idea?
a documentary about Bigfoot documentaries. Sounds like you better keep thinking. Well, now think about it, Poir. That could be the hook. The documentary documentary. You could talk about the growing Bigfoot tourism market and about the different types of believers. You could run the whole gamut. You could have the eyewitnesses, the doubters, the undiscovered ape group, and even the alien theorists. Maybe. Do you know anything about making a documentary? I'd need some funding and a good camera. Heck, Par, you could be the host. I don't think so. Sure, you could do the interviewing and I could hold the camera. I already know a few people that would be perfect to interview. Poir yawned. You keep dreaming. I'm going to go lay down. I'm spent. She stood and walked into Jerry's camper. After stepping inside, she pulled her tank top over her head and climbed into the bed. It was not a hint for Jerry, but simply how she wanted to sleep. Nonetheless, Jerry bolted in behind her. This has been Episode 2 of What We Saw, a tale from the Bigfoot community, by yours truly, Tennessee Bill. Brought to you by Kendall Vela. This and other serialized stories are available at Kendall Vela on Amazon.com. Check out other books by me, William C., or Tennessee Bill at Amazon.com.